All right, welcome to Legal Tech Week, our uh, weekly journalist roundtable where we talk about the uh, top news in legal tech and innovation and law practice and whatever else strikes our fancy. Uh, it is uh, January 22nd, 2021. This is Bob Ambrogi. I uh, have the blog Law Sites and also host the podcast Law Next. And uh, who's here this week? Uh, Carolyn, you want to kick us off? Introduce yourself. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Carolyn Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider. Uh, last week, or was it the week before, I rather embarrassingly crashed out of the panel because of dodgy internet connection. <laughs> so if that happens again this week, I would like to apologise in advance and hope that the camera doesn't flash onto the messy part of my office as it did the week before. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Molly. Hi, I'm Molly McDonough. I'm a media strategist, blogger, and producer, and former uh, editor and publisher of the ABA Journal based in the Chicago area. Zach. Hey there, everybody. I'm Zach Warren, editor-in-chief of ALM's Legal Tech News, coming to you from a very balmy 14 degrees Fahrenheit here in Minneapolis. So very happy to be inside and not ever go outside again until it's May. <laughs> uh, Nikki, how are you? Uh, Nikki Black. I am the legal technology evangelist with my case law practice management software. I write regular legal tech columns for the ABA Journal Above the Law, Daily Record, and also on the My Case blog. Uh, it's cold here too. It's upstate New York. I stay inside even when there isn't a pandemic most of the time in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, how about you? Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Um, and the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer. I have nothing really clever to say right now. Uh, it's chilly out here too, but I mean, it's, I guess, am I technically upstate New York? I'm, I'm north of the Bronx, so I think that counts. You're, up, you're <laughs> upstate according to New Yorkers, like people from New York right. City, but you're downstate <laughs> yeah. according to upstate New Yorkers like me. Fair Only enough. upstate could have that fireplace behind. I mean, you couldn't have that. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, I'm trying to create an ambiance for this show. You know, right. <laughs> it's, it's like the Hudson River right outside your window. Yeah. Or, uh, Joe's, Steve, Joe's fireside chat. Joe's fireside rant. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. Steve Embry. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, which is about uh, legal innovation, legal disruption, and more or less anything else I feel like ranting about at the time that it hits me. So good to see everyone. And uh, two of our regulars are not here today, uh, Victoria Hudgens and Victor Lee. Uh, I assume Victor's probably off on like a, a, a drunken bender celebrating the election or something. I didn't hear anything from him, but uh, I'm not sure where he is. Um, but um, I don't know, it, it felt like a kind of a Quite, yeah, it, well, it felt like a quiet week in the legal tech world. I mean, it obviously wasn't a quiet week because obviously a lot happened and that may well explain why it was a quiet week in the legal tech world. Uh, we were just speculating before we went live that maybe uh, some companies were smarter than to try and uh, put out news announcements or whatever else this week when nobody else was gonna be paying attention. But uh, but, but Caroline, what about over there uh, in, in the UK? Uh, any any activity over there this week? I mean, you weren't obsessed with uh, a, a, an inauguration and an assault on your uh, center of government and whatever else? Well, we kind of are still. <laughs> like, half, half our audience uh, in the US, so I think, um, yeah, we're still kind of obsessed. So I noted how um, the Simpsons have got it right again in terms of the, the outfit that the vice president was wearing. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of my uh, intelligent critique of the whole proceeding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was, I mean, I've got, um, yeah, I agree with you, actually. There weren't any big announcements. And the stuff that I wrote was more of, you know, conversations that I've had before. So you're right. It was kind of, perhaps that was deliberate. Um, can I just share about the conference that I was just at? Yeah. Because so, um, we, so um, we've had lots of conversations since, since this panel began about how to replicate the the conference experience um in you know that networking that in-person experience and nikki obviously has been a fan of the avatar and there's been one conference where <laughs> the avatar did exist but i just spoke um just before coming on here um at a conference called skills which is um which has previously been a pretty exclusive closed no press 
session and they did do that yesterday but then today because of the pandemic they decided they could open it up to everybody so for the first time ever they've opened it up to the public um and they had a bunch of speakers in including me my story is bored bob <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've, i'll be yeah, back when, when you're done let me know when you're done okay, no i'm, I'm sorry Sorry. <laughs> I'm sitting here in a frigid office. I just realized I had my heater up so loud I could barely okay. hear. Got to the chase. <laughs> Got to get a fireplace. You need a fireplace. So we used, they used, it was, it's brilliant. It's still ongoing, actually. I've ducked out and I'm going to go back to <laughs> some, some networking. So they used Zoom. I mean, maybe you guys have already now been to this type of conference. It was kind of like being the real thing in that they use a platform called Shindig. That was how they did their breakfast meeting. And there's like these little icons where you can literally hop into rooms and have a video, have a chat to each other as if you were in real time. So you get your coffee and you go into these rooms and you have chats. That's the way that we started the day. Then, had, then they did the rest of the conference on Zoom where everybody, all of the audience are live on, on Zoom. So you've got, you can see everybody. And then they just promote the person who's speaking up on, to, you know, they could take off you, you off mute and you go, you deliver your presentation and there's questions on the chat. And it was just, it's just brilliant. Like, and, and there's breakout rooms where after three of the live sessions, they did this like shark tank type thing. And then, then they throw you into a breakout room where you're with other people. So it kind of forces you to pay attention a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, otherwise you end up in a breakout room going, uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was just the first time I felt a bit excited like a toddler. Because it was the first time that I've had that enjoyment of really interacting with lots of different people. I don't know, has anybody else been to a conference like that? Like joke, joking aside, because I haven't. Not really a legal tech conference. It, actually, last week, uh, strangely enough, my wife and I did a trivia night, which was actually kind of similar, where they had everybody in one room, and then you had a team, and they kicked you out to a breakout room to discuss the trivia questions, then came back in. So it's something I think a lot of people are starting to experiment with in the wider world. Um, but I, that's definitely interesting that you're starting to see it in the legal one as well. Yeah, the closest one I had to that, Caroline, was the uh, one on uh, legal civic tech that uh, Nicole Braddock did where um, you could be promoted uh, onto stage um, and then you all, you can move to tables where were separated as little rooms. So you could speak to everybody at your table when you were there or you could go hide in a corner, which I also really liked. <laughs> Do you know what was really cool about the networking was that it was almost better than in person. Not, it's not true because we'd all much rather be together, but unlike when you know when you have to kind of go around and go, oh hey, <laughs> hey, I'm Caroline. You know, actually, you've got these rooms where you can see everyone's faces and they're in a they're in a live chat, right? It's like having your own little WhatsApp group or whatever, and you can just click on it and you go in, and everyone goes, oh hi, and it's. It, it's um, almost easier than the real thing. That was right. quite weird. Yeah, like, because they don't have a choice. Like, and <laughs> they can't turn this on, although you can kick people out by double clicking on them, I discovered. Yeah, it was very good. It was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was, yeah, it was yeah. great to see All so right. many people. <laughs> yeah. I was like, shut up now. He's like, enough of your conference. Yeah, I'm sorry, I missed it. What did you speak on? They asked me to speak on 2020. Um, <laughs> Predictions for the year or? <laughs> no, it was a wide range. So talking about the biggest tech innovations in 2020. And I said that it wouldn't, I didn't talk about point, different point solutions. I said it was the overall, there's a bigger picture. So the talk about Microsoft and Teams and all of that kind of stuff. And the bigger sort of the bigger cultural and the shift, you know, the kind of awakening. Um, ALSPs, Victoria's not here, but talked a lot about ALSPs and all sorts of stuff and the deregulation in the US, you know, the, yeah. that's lots of stuff. It was quite a free range chat. Yeah, good. I mean, I saw, uh, we, we talked last week about the Legal Services Conference that a few of us had been at. Was that just last week or the week before? Um, but they, I mean, it sounds like the, uh, the, uh, conference app you were just in was much more sophisticated but what what they had that i really liked was 
sort of threaded conversations among the attendees at each program. So it's not just a matter of putting a, a question into a chat and then it, it just goes up through the flow. You could actually have threaded conversations with other people watching the same program, uh, which was a nice, nicer way of engaging around specific issues that were being talked about in the, uh, in the conference environment. Um, I know Molly was there and I think Nikki was there for part of that too, but that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, who else, who, does anybody have anything they think was really interesting this week? Cause <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not seeing. I have it. a teaser um, for something okay. that um, we can talk about when Victor's back. Um, he, he, um, I don't know if you saw the message, Bob, but he has construction at his house. So no, I did not see it. No. It's uh, too loud, but I got my print edition of the ABA Journal, um, and it's not online yet. But um, but they have their legal rebels um, announced there. Um, so it's a it's a really good group. I was really excited to see that I I worked on that project. This is only the uh, second year I haven't, or first year full year I haven't worked on the project at all uh, since two thousand nine. <laughs> Um, so I, I think I, I still in, really enjoy and feel like it's it's uh, uh, something that I enjoy I enjoy paying attention to and being part of um, on some level and hope to throw some nominations their way at some point. Uh, but they, it's a really good group. You'll see some some names um, that are familiar and a couple in there that were not as familiar to me. So uh, that's one of my favorite things about lists like this is is getting to know. You want to tease a name or two? Anybody we might uh, anybody we might. Well, know? you will know um, a lot of these people. Uh, uh, Jane Reardon is finally getting recognized, which I was really excited about. Your your favorite uh, Bob uh, uh, Judge Schlegel is in the mix. Um, I wasn't familiar with uh, Dave Byers. And I don't know if anybody else is with his work. Um, so I need to read up a little bit more on um, him and uh, the founder of Just Fix, which I was really excited about, um, is in there too. And um, Chief Justice McCormick. Um, so yeah, really good group. Awesome. Um, I don't think we mentioned this last week, but I think it was also just last week that the ABA's something else with the ABA, the Legal Technology Resource Center announced this 2021 Women of Legal Tech. Um, uh, and uh, again, check that out if you, if you haven't seen that. Uh, uh, again, a lot of names that will be familiar to uh, people who are listening to this podcast getting recognized there. But it, you know that, that list continues to grow uh, with, with people who are well-deserved, well-deserving uh, of rec recognition there. Not one of those, it's got one of those weird uh, ABA website URLs that it's just easier to Google than my, me try and give you the URL. Well, actually, I can put it in, I guess I can put it in the uh, great, chat. Great I think great timing on releasing a list of rebels like a couple of weeks after an armed insurrection. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's like one of those things that you have planned beforehand and then something happens, you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so so when you do searches for, for legal rebels, you'll, you'll, uh, bring up things like the ABA Journal and Somalia, so it's fascinating. <laughs> and uh, are they all going to storm the ABA headquarters in Chicago? Or uh... yeah, what, so, no. some some ALSP who got slighted is like saying we need to trial by combat with the ABA. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, we've talked a lot about naming things, and let me tell you, choosing rebels over Maverick or all these other potentials was a big discussion. Fair. Words matter. All right. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe kind of relevant to that, Nikki, you had uh, highlighted uh, something that you wanted to talk about. Uh, actually, a blog post not one that you wrote, but that somebody else wrote, but it actually ties to what Caroline was talking about a little bit in terms of this, the state of, uh, of, of the legal market uh, after 2020 and where we are right now. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? You're muted. I was just posting it in the um, oh, chat yeah. before I forgot. Um, I, I mean, I haven't, this is a, a blog post that is super dense. Um, it's this, fantastic analysis of dense but emojis 
Yeah, right. But emojis, correct. Um, and also a fantastic chart, uh, like uh, infographic, if you will, of um, the state of the legal tech market in terms of categorizing all the different products and all the different companies and where they all fit. I mean, this infographic, I have a feeling is going to, um, sur you know, uh, stand the test of time and end up in a lot of different presentations. I could be wrong, but it, it's a really, really dense post with really interesting analysis. And I haven't had time to really um, do a deep dive into it. So I don't, I can't speak, speak super intelligently about it, but just sort of, of the state of the legal tech market, sort of how we got here and where it's going and some of the factors that are influencing things and why the different segments were, uh, uh, or why the different sections of the market were segmented in that way within the infographic and why the writer chose that. It's from the Adam Smith ESQ blog. No, I'm wrong. It's from the Legal Evolution. Oh, Legal yeah. Evolution from- uh, Oh, it's yeah. Legal Evolution. Yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. about that, yeah. yeah. It's a fantastic it, it, yeah. post that's very dense. Um, I'm able to speak more about the other topic I brought up um, uh, intelligently than this one because it is so dense. It's just real, this one just really caught my eye because it's uh, such an interesting discussion and particularly that infographic was just to me this like fantastic sort of um, snapshot of where we are right now in terms of legal tech and all the products that are out there and how they fit into the overall market. Yeah, and that's Jay Omo's uh, always always writes these incredibly uh, uh, thick uh, and thoughtful uh, pieces when she writes. I mean, the, my, my, one cons my one thought on that, I mean, I thought the infographic was really interesting, but you know, it, it like so often happens when people are talking about legal tech, it's really focused on the big firm sector uh, and completely, uh, completely omits the access to justice sector of, of legal tech. There's oh, literally nothing point. about it on, on there. Uh, I mean, there's a little, there's a nod to smaller firm, the smaller firm sector in terms of mentioning products <laughs> like my case and, you know, uh, Practice Panther and some others, but it's really a big, big tech focused analysis, I think. That it is one, pretty I oh, it does. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say real quick, I want to like real breakdown with somebody who's a graphic designer about the font selection and the logo selection involved here, because seeing them all together, I'm, I'm like, just as a glance, I'm like, wow, we, we do kind of the same tropes over and over again, don't we? <laughs> yeah. True. Um, I just wanted to say too, though, I, this is part five of a five part series. Um, I definitely highly suggest going back and reading the other ones too. Jayam is very, very smart in what she writes. Um, and I think kind of to Bob's point, there is a little bit of that big law spin on it, especially considering she was most recently at Baker McKenzie and part of that uh, firm. But uh, still, I think it's very relevant. And I really liked part four of this one, the one right before this one as well. So yeah, everybody should go read that. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh... What else do we have this week? Zach, uh, since you've got, got the floor, do you want to uh, yeah, bring up your sure. Um, kind of to your point, there wasn't much hard news, I think, this week. So the piece I picked out was one that Victoria wrote, just kind of taking a look at what law schools are doing with their tech classes right now. Because obviously, we've been talking forever about we need people to be hands on working with these tools. And that is a little bit tougher to do when people are not actually in person. So she talked with uh, different people at law schools about how exactly they're doing their tech education right now and pretty much everybody said yeah it's kind of tough to do when really we're trying to do these hands-on teaching people about discovery about matter management about research um, and we can't have in-person instruction to do that um, so and especially at a time where everybody is going remote as it is and tech is increasingly important uh, it's kind of a balancing act that people are having to do um, so it's, it's something that a lot of people are going to have to deal with moving forward, uh, especially because law school remote classes probably are going to be a thing that continue on post pandemic as well. Um, but tech may not be a, actual teaching tech might not be a piece of that. Do you think they're just do you think they're just making excuses like normal? Because so everybody, <laughs> everybody has had to like law firms have had to teach people about tech remotely. Like law firms have had to, and actually 
they say that training has almost been better and adoption has been higher because we people have been remote and they've managed to do it but somehow colleges they've or, or you know whatever it might be they always seem to have a reason why they're not doing what they should be doing when it comes to tech I would normally agree with that. Um, the people that she talked with in this particular piece are people that I know are very tech savvy and have taught this sort of stuff before. Um, so they're people I'd trust to say, if it's harder then it actually is harder. But in general, yes, I'm sure that this is another excuse that people are saying, oh, well, throw up our hands, can't do it right now, sorry. There's always a reason in the UK, there was a change in the way that particularly like the, we have a different system, but the bit between university and um, going to a law firm to do your articles at the College of Law, there was, they, they were like, oh, there's been, a, there's been a change in the way that we have to, so we have to wait to find out how that all pans out. And then we can work out the tech bit, you know, and I'm like, oh, you could just do it now because actually it doesn't really depend on your, you know, I think there's always a reason, but I take your point, you know, obviously in this case with yeah. these people. It was it was interesting to me to read it because I it, they they talk about uh, they they talk to people from BYU Law School Brigham Young University Law School which happens to be I I happened to be there on the very day that they made the decision to shut down the law school and send everybody home virtually on March twelfth last year uh, and uh, as as I was frantically trying to find a flight out of uh, Provo Utah or out of uh, Utah and get back to Boston uh, as all hell was breaking loose. But, uh, I, you know, it, it is kind of funny because what I remember about that day is that part of part of their concern about having everybody go virtual was less about the students' capacity to do it than about <laughs> the professor's capacity uh, or ability to uh, be able to teach in a virtual environment. And, and of course, not all professors, but there were a few uh, they, that they were there, that there were some concerns about. Uh, and I, I wonder how much that contributes to some of this. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like that bit. Do you want me to quickly talk about the that point about the company that's teaching people about the value of AI because that kind of fits with. Sure. You know, so I wrote about this company called Math Labs this week, um, which is helping companies when you're buying a company. I mean, it's, it's a slightly left field. This is slightly. I just wanted to write about it, but also they're a really cool company doing amazing stuff. Um, so they, when you want to buy a company that sells AI, they, they actually go in, they're working with Fujitsu, um, which is obviously a big Japanese company, as we all know. Um, and they, Fujitsu spoke very, it was, this wasn't a press release. This was just something that was put my way. And I went and spoke to the client and spoke to Math Labs. And they're valuing the AI and telling them what it's really worth. Um, but what's right. in, and, and, and I might, actually I might in a minute post, post that link because it really is interesting. You know, they're, they're, and they've actually affected deals going ahead. Either the value has been changed or the deal hasn't gone ahead at all because what people have said has been AI, not been AI. Um, but it goes to this point about um, you know, tech overtaking the common understanding and common knowledge. Like, and, and we've talked about it here before about judges not understanding cases that they're hearing. You know? and, and it's really interesting that disconnect in so many different segments of people's knowledge of technology and where they need it to be. Yeah. Um, so, so it's essentially yeah. a bullshit detector for uh, AI claims that, that companies have. <laughs> but what's really, yes. And what was really fascinating is I was like, well, so I spoke to Jitsu, um, who are very much on the record and quoted. And um, I said, well, surely there's, you know, you've got the big four, you've got McKinsey, who's this math labs are all ex McKinsey. Um, they must be able to help. And they, and they, like, they were like, not, not as much, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that actually, it's become so, in some cases, difficult to really look under the hood, particularly in the current environment, right, like where we're all removed. And um, so, yeah, it's just really interesting that that we're really feeling in so many ways that disconnect, especially when we're remote. Yeah. Um, well, I since, since, since we don't, since we're so short on hard news this week, I, I, I did have at least a couple of hard news stories, but it, maybe I'll bring up one of them. Uh, which was uh, kind of a sort of an industry insider story in a sense. It was the, the, that this uh, Pinhawk group of newsletters were acquired by this group, Law Business Media. Uh, and um, I, I, I think it's interesting just because Pinhawk has got this great uh, set of newsletters that are edited by 
people who were well regarded in their respective areas and their, their you know, legal technology and, and uh, legal marketing and, and so one for law librarians or information professionals. Uh, they're, they're great newsletters. I, I get several of them in, every day and, and uh, always turn to them for finding out what's going on. Um, and uh, yeah, in, in some ways, I've kind of felt like there's there's more potential there for that product that they, they haven't fully realized what they could be doing with those. Uh, so they got acquired by uh, uh, this this law business media, which owns the public is the publisher of this uh, corporate counsel business journal and and some other publications. Um, I, I have a connection to the owners as as, as does Molly, and that they're uh, I used to work with them at ALM. Uh, Kristen Calvi and Joe, Joe Calvi. Um, but I, I'm really interested by that. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with it. Uh, Cause I, I, think, uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. And given that these are uh, one, of the, one of the few sources out there that are regularly reporting, uh, uh, well, they're really an aggregation service. They're not really doing reporting, but the, that are really pulling together what's going on in legal tech and legal information. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah. Um, Anybody have any thoughts on that or? All right. Uh, so, um, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> You're running out of topics, right, Bob? <laughs> oh, well, I've got, I've got more I can talk about. I'm just trying to spread it out here. Uh, so, uh, I came across a, an article and a survey uh, this week. <clears throat> And I, it, it's not directly related to tech, but in a way it, it, it sort of is. And it, it was put out by the uh, Volta Talent Strategies Group, which I don't know very well, but it was basically look, looking at the impact of the uh, COVID crisis on uh, working parents who are lawyers and sort of the stresses that they're facing and, and what, what they're really looking for. And it's kind of resonated with me because... Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the, the, the pandemic and the crisis and God help us, the number of people that are, that are ill, that are dying, and then all that's important, but sometimes we don't focus on sort of the collateral damage that's being done. And uh, looking at this, this survey and article, it, it became apparent that to me that the, the tremendous uh, stress that uh, that young lawyers with with small kids or, or even older kids have to be facing as they try to work from home, satisfy the demands of, of partners and law firms, uh, satisfy the demands of their children who are who are in essence being homeschooled in many parts of the country. And um, you know, I, I, I that has to be a very difficult challenge. And it, it is as one of the respondents to the survey said, it just, I'm never not working anymore. Uh, between taking care of kids, dealing with work, trying to balance the two, and they they are very concerned about how this is going to impact their careers. In fact, the, the title of the, of the article where the survey results were presented is, was my career is basically over, <laughs> which, which is, uh, I don't think, I think that's a little bit of an alarmist, but, but we have to take in, into account, you know, how difficult this must be. They're concerned about you know, what's, how's this going to impact, impact my career? What's going to happen yeah. in my next next performance review? Are they going to take, are our partners going to take into account what's going on in my life right now? How hard it is to do all these things. Um, and it was interesting to see what they really wanted from, uh, from their law firms. One of the things that they wanted was just more empathy and understanding. Now, Lawyers are really good at that, right? So that shouldn't be a problem. We should be, <laughs> we should right. be able to, to, to do that pretty easily. But they really wanted just a recognition and an assurance that, that we hear you. We know what you're going through. Uh, Molly and I were on uh, Ari Kaplan's lunch today, and there was an in-house uh, lawyer from uh, McDonald's. And he was talking about working with his team who were mostly re re remotely. And one of the things he said that I thought was really good, he said, I have learned to respond with more grace uh, 
to my teams and their problems and, and what they're undergoing. Um, and I thought that was a good way of putting it. Is it, 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 we have to, lawyers need to take into account, God almighty, how hard this has got to be. And, and what a lot of these working parents want is, is kind of striking too, that they want empathy and the understanding. Uh, they, they want, uh, some compensation. When I first saw that, I thought, oh, well, that more money, you know, let's just throw more money at. But no, that's not what they're saying. They're saying we don't want like more money, although more money is nice. We want uh, better technology. Help us get better technology to do what has to be done. Understand that we have now expenses that, that we never thought we would have, childcare kinds of expenses, uh, medical kinds of expenses. Help us with these things. Uh, and, and take all this into account with, with the review. And it was just a, a sort of a, it was, it was sad and disturbing in a lot of ways that, uh, you know, I, my kids are older, but I have a daughter uh, with two uh, toddlers. And, and I can tell you that the soul searching that she went through in deciding to, to put those two kids into daycare so that she can continue working and her husband can continue working um, it was very difficult. It was a very difficult choice. Um, so I can only imagine, uh, you know, what what must be going on with with so many uh, younger lawyers that that are just being sort of forgotten with this. You know, it's, it just struck me as I was reading this how uh, how important uh, sort of having more empathy and understanding and grace with respect to these people uh, really is. I, I just wanted to respond that I don't think that the the headline is, is uh, right. over the top, because, partly because um, two things. One, um, um, working mo mom groups in particular have been sounding these alarms for a while that this is going to create major issues uh, for professional women and their career choices. Um, I really do think, you know, if there's not a good response, women in particular who are still tasked with most of the um, child duties are just going to move on to something else, to an, to an arrangement that makes more sense for them. The second thing I just want to point out is that this is why so many working parents I, I know, um, men and women, are dying to get back into the office. <laughs> Either, or, either getting maybe, their kids back in school right. or, or them back in the office, but everybody on top of each other is another set of jobs and responsibilities. And even worse, because you have to juggle both at the same time. And, you know, managing school, especially for smaller kids, is a full-time effort. It's, it's unbelievably difficult. Um, so I, I just... I feel I have older kids and, and we were all at home and it was hard enough, but I didn't have to help them constantly because they're old enough to manage on their own once they got started. You know, and it's, uh, and let's not forget too that compounding all these problems for, for these families is the fact that most of, of the breadwinners are under tremendous student debt obligations. And while that's been, you know, while there's a moratorium on those right now, which is great, you know, someday the, 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 that's gonna come to a head and have to be paid. And in addition to having to worry about juggling all these things, when you're faced with the notion that my career is basically over, it's not, not like saying my career is basically over. It's like saying my career is basically over and my God, how am I going to make these payments? One of the interesting statistics, by the way, I was going to mention it before, 57% uh, of the people surveyed wanted to work reduced hours uh, with the law firms that we were with, but only 12% had actually asked to be able to work reduced hours, which is a, is a, are statistics that tells you a lot about how uh, sympathetic uh, many of these people view the law firms that they work for, that, that they're too frightened and too scared uh, to be able to ask for something that they really, really desperately, desperately need. So, so Steve, Stephen, I was going to say, so, so I was speaking to someone the other day who actually was not a lawyer, but in one of the big international law firms who, um, and I think it's quite important to remember that, you know, they have to consider the whole firm, not just the lawyers, because they're all, right. like, right. very, 
very senior person than you're a lawyer. Um, and they were looking haggard. They've got um, a three-year-old, a six-year-old and a teenager. <laughs> Um, and so if they haven't got someone having attention, they've got someone coming in with an Elsa dress guy or take anything like he was just coming up with some very funny harrowing stories. Um, but I think, and he was saying that, you know, law firm, the law firm is looking at, because what he does is he, he and his wife, actually, they do the kind of shifts, but actually what it means is that they're ending up working all night sometimes and, you know, trying to weekends and like you said, not having a break. And he was saying that the law firm is trying to look at, ways of helping them to manage it right so that but then it becomes you know what do you who do you look at what age children like because my children are I've just now got a teenager as of the, the other day um and I've got an 11 year old may God yeah. have mercy on yourself yeah right okay it has its own challenges and my 11 my 11 year old I've got other wait, stories. wait, wait. Well, it, it, is it is it actually a teenager? I don't know. You use the metric system. Is that like a different? <laughs> <laughs> He's already behaving like there? a teenager. <laughs> and the other one, we won't go into stories here, but like, is it, but I have different challenges. But I, you know, but how do they judge? Like, I'm, I'm, I know I don't work for a law firm, but how do they judge if I need a holiday, extra holiday, or you know, it's, it, but there is something I think that they need to be. The firms need to be proactively looking at. If particularly if this is an ongoing problem, how did they help people? And what did you know? It's going to be a nightmare. Like, how about how did they with someone who's got a six-year-old and a three-year-old who is working all nights and all weekends and looking very tired? Um, how do they help? You know, they, I think there's an onus on them to go right. We need to we need to manage this. Well, I did. Well, it's uh, it's a, you know it, it's another compounding factor. I think as we all recognize is the the high percentage of alcohol and substance abuse and depression amongst the legal profession as it as it was before the pandemic <laughs> you know, yeah and and what's going to be i mean i think the, the the impact and ramifications of all this are going to be with us for for a long time so I, I just want to say, jump into for Caroline's point that um, I and, and because some of the folks I know are in the audience, if they're they can weigh in on this, uh, I have heard some really good ways that some firms are handling um, this, including giving credit for homeschooling and uh, and making that well known within the firm. These are when I've reached out to see if they'll they're willing to go public and to let me write about them. I, I get wholehearted no's. Um, and I, I think they're worried about how they would be perceived um, as promoting something like this in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and then, I, but there also may be some internal reasons why they don't want to promote uh, that they're doing, uh, making arrangements like these. Uh, but I do think there have been some really good and creative responses that are, that at least confer the empathy <laughs> that they're trying to address the issue. Um, and, and the partners do understand that, that, this, is, that this is affecting, um, if not performance, mental health. Yeah, I, I wondered about that. I, I uh, interviewed uh, earlier this week, um, Jim Jones, who was the author of the uh, State of the Legal Market Report that just came out within the last couple of weeks uh, from Thomson Reuters and uh, Georgetown University Law Center. It's gonna be on my podcast on Monday, shameless plug. Uh, but he, I mean, he talked about the fact, you know, one of the silver linings of, of uh, the pandemic that he talked about was that they found that something more than 80, something like 85% of firms are indicated that they were doing much more to address, you know, wellness and work-life balance and mental health issues uh, among their staff. Uh, and that they had, you know, affirmatively instituted programs to, to do that. I, you know, you never know when firms say that, whether they're actually doing that. But, um, you know, I wonder if going forward, there will be more uh, sensitivity uh, on the part of firms to a lot of these issues and uh, more willingness to, uh, you know, there will be more freedom for, for uh, members of the firm to kind of speak up about these issues. I don't know. Well, I'm going to weigh in with a big no on that because first of all, I was going to say that I think that the pandemic only highlights the pre-existing issues uh, and just actually makes them worse. But 
you know, people, if you have two working parents, um, let's just say they're both lawyers, uh, they typically have to have daycare and the nanny because there's no way to do it all. If you have two to three kids, the kid, no one gets sick at the same time. Like a, a stomach bug rolls through a household and everybody's sick at a different time over a period of two and a half weeks if you've got five people in that house. And it's just untenable to um, function without another adult who to take care of these kids. And this has always been an issue. And in my experience, and if you go to um, any of the large online forums that are full of women lawyers, it's it's continues to be the experience of women lawyers that the firms are not um, uh, forgiving. They are not gracious about this. Um, women are constantly penalized. I I've experienced it myself um, for taking maternity leave, for missing days, for wanting to leave early to go to a soccer game, um, for all the different things that you want to do to be an involved parent. Um, they're not given the opportunity to uh, you know, work from home, maybe that will change a little bit. But I mean, there's a reason why all the non-equity partners are women, you know, and it's, it's because these women had to compromise and take this non-equity position and they essentially get penalized for motherhood, whereas the male partners and male lawyers typically are not. And so I think that the pandemic really has just served to kind of highlight that problem. And I have minimal um, faith that a, there's going to be additional grace <laughs> as a result of the pandemic. And I kind of feel like firms are just going to go back to business as usual um, for the most part once we're through the pandemic when it comes to this in particular. Um, and I may be a little cynical, I'm not going to lie, but I, 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 I'm not hopeful about it. But I, know, I think it's a really I, interesting uh, issue. I, I would tend to agree with you, Nikki, uh, sadly. Um, although one of the things that the survey uh, talked about was um, how many of these people are actively looking for different jobs. Um, and so uh, the suggestion by the, by the authors was made that, that firms that are uh, more understanding and are developing programs to deal with this may be in a position uh, to attract better talent uh, down the road. Now, that would suggest some foresight and uh, strategic planning on the part of law firms. Again, along with understanding and empathy, most firms are not too well known for that. But, um, you know, that's at least there is an economic argument that you could make. But sadly, I think you're exactly spot on. And, you know, as, as I have mentioned before, part of that stems from the fact that when you look at law firms and who has power in law firms, it's it's the lawyers with the largest origination credits. And, and there's all these Byzantine type rules for how lawyers get origination credits, but far too often, it's the old white guys that have the origination credits that have the power in the firms. And unless and until clients are going, in-house lawyers are going to step up to the plate and say, I want to know who on my team is getting what kind of credits and for what. Uh, you know that that could that could be the key to changing some of that in the future. But again, I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to happen either because who is in house? Many in house lawyers are old white guys too. <laughs> and I'm an old white guy. I admit I'm an old white guy. <laughs> Me and Bob are both old white guys. Hey, speak for yourself. Sure, Some of you are young white guys, but we're old white guys. So there's, there are some, I just put in the chat, there are clients, that's my hope as well. That, so Intel, Microsoft, some of the tech cl clients are c coming up with very concrete diversity stats and, and they if they stick to them and if others follow their lead, <laughs> excuse me, um, then I don't think, I think eventually firms will start to not have as much wriggle room because um, they are, certainly the Intel and Microsoft, it's really worth looking at the, the stats that they have insisted on in terms of the number of female partners and that kind of thing. Um, but it'd be interesting to see, I, I would hope that others follow their lead and I think that will start to bite. And then law firms, because you can't obviously just magic that up, then they have to start looking at behind the stats and why, why those stats are nowhere near where they need to be in and then starting to put in place the processes, systems, culture that, that needs to exist. 
Uh, kind of getting back to your earlier point, though, a lot of those initiatives and stats do tend to be very lawyer focused and not necessarily firm as a whole and the people behind the scenes. They do. I had a whole story to. Sorry, no, go. They do. I had this whole conversation with Jason Thomas, who's a CIO at Carl Scott Cassane. Um, Bob and I both do the Terror TV. And, and Jason and I had this exact conversation about, I was referring to these stats. And then we said, it's actually almost discriminatory that these stats apply only to lawyers like how is that even okay in this modern day that they can go oh well doesn't apply to the whole firm just to the partner just to the lawyers you know <laughs> that's discrimination in itself yep. and that's half yeah. of those sorry oh, go ahead uh, i'm just so, gonna <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of my worry moving forward though is a lot of these initiatives will tend to be very lawyer focused. And I know at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk of we're one big firm family. We have empathy for everybody. The tech people, the IT are the ones who really are keeping us afloat. And then I know we had an article, I think it was Victoria again in November, December, we went back to some of those same tech people and they said, yeah, we're still in the pandemic and it's already back to business as usual. And people are have less patience for trying to get things online and VPN issues and stuff like that. So if it's already, some people think it's going back to normal in that regard, I don't have much confidence that there will be much empathy post pandemic. And just in terms of all those initiatives, they're lip service, they're just PR, you know, they, it's just like their diversity, you know, large law firms and like to say, oh, we're all, we have this great diversity, um, you know, anti-racism mm -hmm. uh, on paper here. We're going to put this down on paper and we're going to say this is our manifesto. You know, we are anti-racist. We love women. We love women lawyers. And look, we came up with this initiative or we've done it yet another study, you know, that, shows that, that women lawyers are treated horribly. Yeah, let's do another study on that. Let's just confirm the last study. And they love to like organizations release these studies. Firms have all these initiatives that they like to do a big PR push on and then they never actually enforce anything. They never actually put in this in um, into their um, systemic struct structure of their firm tools that will support people to actually take advantage of the initiatives or they they penalize people for taking paternity leave, if you will. Like when they create paternity leave for men, they penalize them yeah. for taking it. Just it's not well, just women that are penalized. Men, male attorneys struggle with these issues too and they get penalized as well. Yeah. 100%. And the and the um the, and this also speaks to as far as that lip service thing this speaks to the kind of perniciousness of this idea of the not of the non-equity partner these mm -hmm. folks who like put folks on letterhead saying oh look we we promoted people and they haven't really they've created this like nether world where they kind of exist as quasi partners for pr purposes a lot like money <laughs> yeah exactly and, and that's why i i don't mind that you know, these things only include lawyers sometimes because, you know, the people in charge can have a, you, you hate to use the word trickle down, but can have a trickle down effect. Like if more people are leaders in an organization, it can help further down. And it is kind of a lip service thing to promote people at lower level jobs and not up to the high jobs. So I respect the idea of saying it's about lawyers, but if you give lawyers like, fake jobs uh, to pad your resume, then it doesn't, it does, not that it's a fake job to be a, even an income partner. I'm not saying that, but like if you give them non-leadership position jobs and call it leadership, then that's, that's the real problem. And you don't put them on the committees that make the yeah. actual financial decisions. You put them on these fluff committees that are very women-like, like, well, let's put you on the employment committee or the HR, like they put, they, 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 put women on these tracks that are completely different. They're not invited to go golfing, which is where all the business decisions happen out on this golf course, you know? And it's it's just, uh, you know, large law firms and large firm and firms in general that have more than just a few people. It's just a systemic problem within the legal space that's I think is far worse than most other professions. There's some well, other- one, one, one of the other possible silver linings of the pandemic that we've talked about here before is that uh, maybe it calls into question the entire uh, idea and structure of, of the large law firm. Uh, and certainly in the minds of some clients, maybe it calls into question the necessity for giving your business to the large law firm. And so maybe that opens a whole other set of opportunities for working parents uh, of, of any kind to be able to create and work out of firms that are structured uh, the way they think they should be around 
family obligations and work obligations and everything else, yet still have successful careers and still be able to rake in some of those big clients. Well, then, and there's two systemic problems, I think, with law firms that drive a lot of this. One, particularly the large law firms, are driven by billable hours. And so to, to, when, you, when you start talking about maternity leave, paternity leave, all these things, what do lawyers hear? Oh, not as many billable hours. Not as many billable hours out of that person. And, and that is such a fundamental value that, that lawyers use to advance people, to, to, to evaluate people, to decide, to determine if you are a quote, good lawyer, unquote, is how many hours did you bill? It's the first question you usually ask. So that's, that's one set of problems. Another set of problems is, 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 is the, the, the model of law firms is this consensus partnership model that excludes from ownership um, anyone who is not a lawyer. And so when, when you talk about, when you compare law firms with a comp corporation, uh, a corporation, when it hires somebody to be its chief financial officer, that's a, that's a very significant position. And that person gets a good salary and gets stock options and has an ownership in the company. When you go to a law firm, your chief financial op officer the only, the only way they make money is an increase in salary. And the only way they get an increase in salary is if the, the firm management structure composed of lawyers decides they can have it. And so they have this ceiling. And yes, you can say that there are, there are chief financial officers and chief operating officers in law firms that make good salaries, but they don't have the same ownership interest that many in the corporate world do. They have a ceiling placed on them and they have to be beholden in many ways that, that as corporate uh, people aren't. So those, two, those are two systemic problems, I think, that, make, that drive a lot of these, these issues. It'd be interesting to, having just talked about changes in 2020 or continuations of changes and the move to ALSPs and actually some really good, and, and the big four and all of these other different you know, entities, and some there were some really big lawyer names going to work for those entities which are not governed by the billable hour and they are structured differently. It'd be interesting to see, given that I see nothing but growth for you know and and yeah whatever you call yourself, managed legal services. I, I and I think that it'd be interesting to see how that develops. Not that you would not that you would want there to be this sort of separate track where women who want to succeed have to go down that route. I think that's not excusable, but it would just be interesting to see whether that creates a different dynamic somehow where um, it makes it, you know, perhaps more the, the affects the culture and rubs off well on the culture of law firms. I don't know. Well, I think all those dynamics, I mean, the whole dynamic around law firm ownership is it looks like it's changing. We're certainly yeah. moving in that direction. It is funny. I was talking to a, a CEO of a, of a, uh, uh, artificial intelligence legal tech company yesterday who said his his biggest problem in selling to law firms remains this the, the idea that lawyers have that it's going to reduce their billable hours if they use artificial intelligence. I mean, I, I, I thought maybe five years ago, that's what they would be thinking, but they're still thinking that. They're still thinking that. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth noting that um, Joe Cowley just made a comment about uh, the firms having such a profitable year in 2020. Um, I, I, and that is, you know, a, a predict that leads probably many of us to think that the change is going to be even more difficult if, if they don't have to, to be profitable, even during a pandemic. Um, at the same time, a lot of that profit, it was in part because expenses were lower in other areas or they were because well, they let staff go they let lots of staff go administrative staff go and so, they were you billing know, you, out billable they hour increases that were on route to happen before well, so 2020 right well and so travel. in some ways there's right and right exactly and there's so but in some ways there can't be a return to normal if you want to see those profits continue so you know there's going to have to be a reckoning somewhere if they're not really prepared to make the change yeah. Oh, and one of the other articles that I considered talking about this week, and I don't remember where it was now, but it was in the Philadelphia legal market, the firms that are reducing their office space, uh, which when you think about it is a pretty fundamental uh, change because, you know, that that's not a, it, it, you can't like just turn the ship around immediately. If you reduce your office space and enter into some long-term leases, that means your office is going to look different. You can't just say, oh, it's normal now. So 
we'll release all that other space, give it back to us, you know. No, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's going to be kind of a permanent fixture. So that that has a trickled effect with more remote remote working, different uh, models for how lawyers come in and use offices, uh, different ways of relating to, to one another, and so it's uh, you know that that could be a kind of a fundamental change. I unfortunately, uh, Bob, I have to leave a bit a little early today for to, for another engagement, so I will. I will sign off and sorry to have dominated the conversation. I didn't mean to. Do you, do you have a note from your doctor? I'm not sure we can let you go early. Right. I'll see if I can find it here. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So, so thanks. Guys. thanks. Have a thanks. good weekend. Yeah. And I, I just want to mention that that same interview I mentioned that's going to be on my Law Next podcast on Monday. I mean, he talks about this question of, of uh, how law firms are deluding themselves if they think what happened, their, their profitability in 2020 is any reflection of what's going to happen going forward, uh, yeah. because uh, there were a combination of circumstances, both circumstances that happened during 2020, but also circumstances that were already in place before 2020 that, that, that kind of drove that. But um, so, Joe, we haven't gotten to you. Uh, we, we got carried away with with this. Uh, our, our our token uh, middle aged white guy on the panel. I'm I'm here uh, in the in the peanut gallery. <laughs> I I've been I've been heard in the peanut gallery. And oh, and middle aged. Did you, oh, you want to raise nice, your rant? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how old. I, I have no, no idea how enough. old you are. It, I'm 28, but it's fine. Yeah, no. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. No, it's. Um, it is interesting um, what you were just saying, but I guess I'll, I'll go on my rant because we're running out of time <laughs> rather than comment on the last thing. Uh, no, my one rant is I've been dealing recently with a lot of sanctionable behavior on the part of lawyers. This is a thing we write about a lot at Above the Law. And one theme, and I thought this, for those of us who've litigated, which I know a lot of people in the audience and, and panel, I like have at one point in time been on that side of things. Like, when you do it, you will eventually run into somebody who deserves to be sanctioned. And you think, I should, I should raise Rule 11 or whatever the appropriate state equivalent is against this person because they've done something that deserves to be sanctioned, to stop it, to pr protect the profession. And you think this, and what happens is you bring it, and what they will inevitably do is file a response that is muddying the waters, suggesting, oh, well, but you don't want to chill this and that. And inevitably, the judge will say, all right, well, I'm warning you, but I'm not going to drop the hammer. This is how it works. It is designed to use that as an extraordinary measure, and therefore people don't do it. And then guess what happens? They go out and do it again. And we're seeing this kind of in fast forward. The reason it came to my attention is twofold. One, I was, I, I'm weirdly quasi-involved in somebody being Rule 11 um, because he's like complaining about me for talking about it. And two, that there, that we see the Not the guy out of the Bo election. in Boston, not that guy. No. Not, and not that person though. Uh -huh. Huh. <laughs> uh, also, but I'm not, I'm not involved in that. Um, but also we have these election lawsuits, which are creating sanction, uh, sanction motions in Detroit based on the fact that they raised like 60 lawsuits and they're trying to say, oh, well, we can get out of this, whatever. And this kind of shifting whack-a-mole that exists is a problem. And what I think a law, a legal tech company should do, and my, my, my plea to legal technology is we all know Pacer sucks and you can't really do a lot with it, but that data exists. And I think that what would be a good value add pitch is if somebody were to say, hey, our algorithm can roll through a bunch of new filings and say, this lawyer did this and made this representation. And judges be able to this market to judges and say continuing jurisdiction so that a judge can say look i'm just warning you but just don't ever do this again and it flags with them holy hell that person just <laughs> did that over in the district of whatever that would be such a value add to this profession to prevent these serial abusers who jump from court to court and constantly plead, oh, I really didn't do anything. Leave me alone. It's a first time offense. You could stop this right now if we utilize that kind of text, like machine learning, text recognition to go through and catch this. This is something that the profession needs. Go out and tell the world. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. There, there needs to be the flip side of that too, because there are lawyers who who file Rule Eleven motions in like every case they're in, even when there's really no basis for a Rule Eleven motion. So, can you also flag those who are frivolously yes. filing Rule Rule Eleven motions? Yes, and the prestige the prestige of it is the key, right? Like you do this, and then you make this as your prestige play as a company, right? Like I'm helping the federal courts crack down on abuses in the profession. That's why you should also use my technology for finding like other cases, whatever. Like you, because the because the algorithm that would do this is clearly something you could multitask to something else. But if you can prove a value add here and the federal courts trust me to this, you know, multiple state courts trust me to police the profession this way. Disciplinary commission committees trust me to do this. You use that as your value add and then you move on. I think this is this is a can't miss. Perfect. I'll invest. I vote for you. Yeah. I, thank you. Like, we just need to stop these people. They're just out of hand. All right. Well, uh, on that note, um, we are, I think we are out of time. Anybody want uh, further comments on Joe's idea? Anybody want to uh, <laughs> know where his, his uh, Venmo account is to invest or what? Um, okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. We uh, went a little bit long today, but thanks to everybody. We'll be back again next week uh, with uh, another wrap of the week's news. And a reminder that if you have registered on Zoom, uh, you can uh, get back in for free every week. If you're watching us on Facebook, uh, head over to Zoom and join, uh, join the conversation and chat here. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye, all.